Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good to see you. Oh, it's so, it's, so, it's so good to have a service where even if you weren't into worship, that little intro woke you up. You're like, hey, I'm ready for church now. Uh, so, so glad to have you joining us. All of you who are joining us all around the nation and the globe online, our online campus, we are so glad you are with us as well. We're going to dive right in. And so let me ask you this question. And, and there's a little bit of crowd participation, so feel free to answer if you're online. Uh, you know, get that keyboard ready. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word hero? Jesus. Jesus, Marvel. One sinner, one Christian. Okay, cool. <laughs> Superman. Somebody else. Hero. Sandwich. Okay, we're done. We're done. It's, it got weird way faster. I, I, I can't see what people are writing online, but it got... Usually it takes longer for us to get there, but apparently we just went there today. Uh, and so I think for many of us, we think of different things. When you hear the word hero, uh, I think often many people think of superheroes, whether it's Captain America or Superman or Batman or Thor or Black Panther. Most people have a favorite superhero of, of some sort growing up. Uh, maybe you don't. I think other people maybe think of like their mom or their dad or maybe a, a military person or a fireman or a, a police officer. Um, but we all have different concepts of what it means to be a hero. And it seems like depending on who's writing the story and who's telling the story, there can even be different criteria for hero. But we're starting a series called Heroes. Uh, for five weeks, we're going to look at heroes. And so we asked just this weekend uh, on social media, we asked this question, uh, what, you know, what, who's your favorite superhero and why? And so we, I wanted to just highlight what some of you said. Maybe this is you out there. Um, Black Widow, because she didn't have any special power except tenacity and grit. Get it, girl. Okay, so Black Widow, that's a good one. Uh, somebody said the people who put their shopping carts in the cart corral. Yes, those are the real heroes. Not all heroes wear a cape. If you don't know why that's a thing, we'll tell you later. Um, the bar. So my grandpa, he taught me the proper life values is honesty, integrity, responsibility, and he molded me into the man I am today. Miss you, Papa. That's really, really cool. That's awesome. I'm assuming that's uh, last. Oh, Batman, because he is human, he allowed traumatic events to give him strength and inspire his mission to help others rather than letting him pull him down into darkness. Plus, who doesn't want a Batmobile? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, that's all. And this is the winner because this is not my answer, but that's my answer. My, my favorite superhero my entire life has always been Batman because if I ever had a chance to be a superhero, I was not born on Krypton. I do not want to get bit by a spider. I didn't have some lab event go bad. Uh, I'm not from some other planet. I'm not one of the gods of thunder, but Batman just took like real cool life stuff and made superhero stuff happen. Like, of course he's human. And so I'm like, oh, I love Batman because now the billionaire part would be kind of cool, I suppose too. Um, but, but really Batman, I'm like, oh, he didn't, like he makes all this happen with like widgets and stuff. So I'm a big, big Batman guy. And typically when you think of heroes, typically you think of people of integrity or character or, or often the common theme is that they did something great for somebody else. They, they are heroes. We don't usually associate a hero because of somebody, because of something someone did for themselves, right? But somebody who did something, went out of their way, used their, their billionaire status or their superhero status or, or just their, their position in your life as a grandpa or a mom or, or maybe their job as a law enforcement or, or military or whatever it was to say, I'm going to do something for someone else. And so, um, so that's what we typically think of heroes. And there's actually a chapter towards the end of the Bible in the book of Hebrews, which it's like the one book we don't really fully know who wrote it. Uh, me and Pastor Joseph were arguing about it this week behind the scenes, uh, as we like to do about everything. Uh, but we don't know who wrote it. And so there's this chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of known as the Hall of Fame or the Heroes of Faith. It's this giant list of people in history 
who did amazing things to help out the people of God. And, and it's commonly known as either the Hall of Fame or literally the heroes of faith. And so we're going to take the next five weeks and we're going to highlight a few of those characters. And we're going to look at what is it about their life we can learn from, maybe good and bad. But see, what I'm excited about is, is there's a wild twist to some of these stories that, um, that rather than what you would imagine about some of these Bible heroes, it may not go exactly what you think. And some of us maybe heard about or heard these stories when we were kids and in, in, in maybe growing up in kids' church. And when you read the actual story in the Bible, there's usually a whole lot more to it than the version uh, of what we tell. Like it's some of the stories we tell our kids, I'm, I'm starting to question, why do we start there? Like, you know, Noah, like, hey, kids, um, one day God decided to kill everyone. Like, like, why do we, why do we tell, like, think about some of this story, right? Like, what, I, I, you know, or one day this guy named, you know, there's so many of them that uh, you're like, oh, there's a whole lot you left out there. And so, uh, so there's, when you dig into the scripture and you read the story, you're like, whoa, there's a ton to take from this. And so while it's fascinating who makes this list in Hebrews 11, because the Bible calls them heroes, but if we look, kind of look at the story some of their lives would definitely not represent the attributes and maybe even the lifestyle that we would promote or that we would connect to heroes or that we would connect to following God. Yet, whoever wrote it said these guys or these gals need to be listed. In fact, here's the cool part about this story. What if I told you that regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of how bad the last 18 months or five years has been, that you could still be used by God and see him move mightily in your life. In fact, you could still be a hero in God's eyes. See, that's what's cool about this story because some of these heroes, I think we actually might have more in common with than we thought. And I believe that God wants to speak to us through this. In fact, if you look at some of the people that we call the heroes of the faith, let's just, I'll name a few. Moses, Moses was a murderer and he had a disability. He had a speech impediment. David did one up Moses. He was a murderer and an adulterer. Uh, Noah was a drunk. He got stuck on a boat for so long. The first thing he did is got passed out drunk when he got back off the boat. True story, it's in Genesis. Uh, Abraham was, had a lying issue, passed off his wife as his sister to a few other men as he was say, trying to save his life. Rahab is in this chapter. She was a prostitute, yet all these people are like, the Bible's like, commends them. And so maybe, just maybe, the standard that God has, what he's looking for and how he wants to use us and the lessons he has for us, if we look at some of these heroes, I believe there's gonna be something for all of us to take away because as much as some of them had these things going on, they're still listed as heroes directly and indirectly in this chapter. So no, really, no matter where your life is, some of us, like, we haven't, like, killed our best friend, stole his wife, murdered a bunch of people, like, all that. And so basically, no matter where you're at, you could kind of say, so you're saying there's a chance. And yes, like, there is. Like, there's, it's not, you're not too far gone. God still has a plan for you. And if you're listening or breathing, maybe, just maybe, this week in this series is going to be for you. Even, in fact, if you may have been at one point an adulterer or a cheater or a liar or a drunk. Maybe there's an affair in your past. Maybe, maybe there's a disability that, you, that you've been told holds you back. Maybe that's still your current reality. I would say to you that I would love for you to lean into this because I think God wants to let you know that he has a plan for you, can use you, and what the world would say disqualifies you may be the very thing that God wants to use so he could get glory through your brilliant life. You guys with me? So, so if you're saying, man, pastor, that sounds amazing, but you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've been through. Like, that sounds great, but you have no idea uh, that I, there's no way I could still be used by God. Let me introduce you to a guy named Samson. 
Samson is going to be our first hero that we're going to talk about. And so uh, every week when we look at the Bible, uh, one of the things I think it's really important is that not just that you take my word for it, but that we understand what the Bible means. We, know, we love to learn the world of the Bible because the world of the Bible makes sense of the words of the Bible. We want to know what the Bible means, not just what the Bible says, because if we don't know what it means, we can make it say whatever we want it to say to fit our agenda by taking things out of context, right? So, I mean, every week I say crazy stuff on this stage that if you took five words or one sentence out of context, I would be even more of a fool than I am on a regular basis, right? Like, so the same is true of the Bible. And so uh, here's what you need to know to set up our story about Samson. Um, Samson was an Israelite, which were God-chosen people. And so for more than 400 years, God's people were slaves in, e in Egypt. This was in the book of Exodus. God raised up a man named Moses to confront Egypt and deliver them. Uh, and he led his people out of Egypt through this like epic, epic story with the promise that I'm going to take you to a land that will be yours to settle. And, and, and I'm going to bless you. And through, through my blessings, the world's going to know that I love you. And you're going to bless other people through my blessing as well. Uh, and so that happens. Mo they get to the edge of the promised land. Moses dies. He raises up a young leader named Joshua. Joshua's whole life is basically, you got to go into this land. But the problem was there were all these people called the Canaanites in there. So they had to drive them out. They had to, to fight them and conquer them and defeat them. And that's basically what the book of Joshua is, is, is getting the Canaanites out so they can settle in this land. And that's basically the whole book of Joshua, which then leads us to the book of Judges, where we see Samson. And so to give you a little bit of backstory of the book of Judges, I'm going to let my Bible project friends take it from there. The book of Judges. So remember after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now, don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future. And you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges. And the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the promised land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter one gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now, remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. 
This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again and it would all start over. So that's literally the cycle through the entire book of Judges where you see this cycle continue to happen. And Samson just happens to be one of the judges. And as we tell the story, I'll let you kind of decide if you think he was in the pretty good, okay, bad, or worse category. Uh, But we pick up Samson's story in Judges chapter 13. We're going to kind of highlight a few different scriptures over the next couple chapters as we tell his story. And here's where we meet Samson. And it's the beginning of that cycle that they were just talking about. And it says this in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says, again, 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 the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So from the beginning of time, we see that there is a specific way that God has created us to live. And it is vastly different than the way the world lives. And if we will live that way, we will experience his favor and his blessing and his protection and his promised land. And he has good things for us. Not that it's always easy, not that it's always comfortable, but there's a way that works best for all of the stuff you want, the way you run your money, your relationships, all of it. Yet there's the world's way that is very self-focused and God from the beginning even of his story couldn't really help his people get out of their own way and go, will you just trust me? And every time they trusted him, historically went really well. But the minute they started doing things their way and doing it the way everybody else did, this would happen. And so we find this as this repetitive pattern, not just in Judges, but literally the entire Old Testament. They just go from Judges to Kings to a Savior. That's really like, I just save you like 2,000 pages of reading. Um, and they can't get themselves out of the way. So, so that's what's happening. And so we're about to be introduced that an angel shows up in the middle of this to a woman who is an Israelite. These are now oppressed by the Philistines. And an angel shows up very similar to the Christmas story, if you've read, read it. And it says this to this woman, unnamed woman, because women, again, didn't count this time. It says, tells, this is what he says. The, the angel tells the woman in verse 5 of Judges 13, says, you are going to become pregnant. And you're going to have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. More on that in just a second. Dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So this woman is told by an angel, you're going to have a son. He's going to be awesome. And he's going to deliver you from the enemy and hopefully help kind of right the ship here. And so um, when it says this word Nazarite, that was a specific um, vow. It was a specific set apart dedication for the Lord that you can actually read about in Numbers chapter six. I'm not going to go there. I put the, the Uh, I put the reference there, but in numbers. And so what it meant was a few things. A Nazarite was not just every Israelite, but this was someone who was committed, at least for a specific amount of time. Now, this is going to be his whole life, was uh, no alcohol. Uh, Meaning, and that was pretty intense, meaning no wine, no grapes, no fermentation. Stay away from grape vines, vineyards. Don't even be around the seeds and the skins of grapes. It was like, just wherever it is, like, go the other way. So that's uh, fresh or dried, no alcohol, grapes, anything like that. Number two, never cut your hair. So the hair would just grow. Uh, so you'd have, you know, the nice flowing locks or whatever. Um, no barbershops. Uh, number three, this one was important. Don't ever come in contact with a dead cor- corpse. Don't touch a dead corpse, an animal, a human. Don't eat anything. Don't, like, no roadkill cafe, none of that. Like, you just stay away from it. Uh, And so that's kind of the Nazarite vow. Now, it's also important to understand for the context of the story we're about to tell over the next couple of minutes is there was also another instruction when God was helping set up his community that was going to live differently and be differently and show the world a better way. 
early on, he said, hey, um, don't take foreign wives. Don't, like, stay away from foreign women. Um, I think it's a little different today in, in our world and our history, but, but the whole point was um, not because they were better than, but because they would, the, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, he basically says, they will lead you astray and you will worship their gods and you will take on their religion and you will forget your identity. And so these are kind of like the four things, and this is what the, uh, Samson is going to be. The mom says, hey, you're gonna, this is going to be your boy. Like, no foreign women, no alcohol, don't cut your hair, no contact with any corpse. Not, it's a little bit crazy, not too much to ask, but if you do this, I have a great plan for you. You're going to lead a great life. You're going to free a lot of people. Like, let's get on with it. And so um, chapter 13 ends, the last verse in 13, verse 24 says, so the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him. Now, when it says he grew, like, that's probably an understatement. This is the world's first super soldier. Like, Samson was the first Captain America. Like, he was big. He was strong. He was bad. Uh, I mean, this dude was like a little bit of Hulk, a little, little bit of Herculean. Like, he was strong and awesome. And so now we're going to get introduced to Samson, and we're going to see, like, just how unheroic this hero is. So, Samson, the first two sentences of Samson's life, verse uh, one and two of chapter 14. So Samson went down to Timnah, say Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman. Actually, we're only one sentence in. Verse two. So he returned and he told his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for my wife. Well, hold on. Like, I feel like we've covered this. Like, no foreign women. Like, this was about, they're the ones that oppress us. Like, I don't know if you know how this works. Like, we're specifically, like, we took an oath. You're not gonna do that. Like, you're gonna, remember, we're gonna lead you out, people out of Israel. So he wants a Philistine woman. Now, what's interesting is you wouldn't know this from face value, but Timnah, if you look at the history of Timnah, Timnah was the city of vineyards, the city of grapes. It was literally where all, it was Northern California. It was literally where all the wine, all the grapes, all the parties, I mean, literally the wine flowed like the salmon of Capistrano. Like it was just wine and vineyards everywhere. And that's the only reason you would go down there. So Samson, as a young man, this great man of God, decides I'm going to go get drunk, be around the wine, be around the skin, the seeds, all of it. And while while we're at it, let's have a Philistine woman. So like we're two sentences into his story and he's at like strike one, strike two. We see early on that God has blessed him that God's spirit is with him, but Samson starts to compromise early and often. And we're gonna see how even when God is with you and even when he wants to bless you, what happens if we continue to compromise and how dangerous is it if we continue to get away with some of those compromises sometimes? So he's doing everything he's not supposed to do. The, the chapter 14 is fascinating. So his parents are like, please don't do this. He's like, come on, dad, do it or I'll kill everybody because I'm huge, you know, and, and basically. And so they agree. So he goes to this Philistine woman. They are like, well, you need some groomsmen. So they pick 30 groomsmen of his, uh, uh, these Philistine guys. And he's like, whatever, I don't care. I just want the, you know, I just want the, uh, the, the wife or whatever. And um, so they do this like weird riddle thing, which was kind of a thing back then. And he's like, well, if you could tell me the riddle, you win. But if, I, if you don't figure it out, I win. And so they basically convince his wife, like, hey, like you can tell him to tell us what it means. So we win the bet is basically what he says. And so um, because they're getting married and they're in love, she basically rats on him, tells them. And so they win this bet. And they, one of the funniest verses in the whole Bible is he comes up and he's like, if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know the answer to that riddle. Now, fellas... Among the things that Samson did I would not recommend is ever using the words, if you had not plowed with my heifer in reference to somebody having a conversation with your wife or your girlfriend or your fiance. Uh, so just wanted to give some free advice there. Uh, and so basically they win. And so, so, um, he gets, uh, so, he, so he gets so mad 
he kills the 30 men. He's like, oh, you won the bet? I'll kill you. And so he just single-handedly dominates these 30 dudes. And then he leaves kind of in this pouty, like, I'm mad. He goes, he goes home. The girl's still back home. We're like, what's going on here? Her dad gives her to some other dude. Samson comes back a week later. He's like, where's my wife? And they're like, what do you mean, where's my wife? You killed all her friends and we, you left. Like, we didn't know what was going on. Like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, well, I'm still here for my foreign woman. Like, the wine, the wine ran out. I'm back. And so, they, so he, they won't let his, her dad won't let him go in to see her. And he's like, oh, really? Watch what the Bible says. This is a true story. <laughs> it says in, in chapter 15, verse 5, Samson said, this time, I really have a reason to get even with the Philistine and I will really harm them. Like killing 30 people is like no big deal. And so in verse 4, he says, th- this part is so crazy to me. It says, so he went out and caught 300 foxes, like you do when you're mad (laughs) in the ancient East, and tied their tails in pairs, which I didn't even know was physically possible, attached a torch to each every single one of them, and then sent them back into the city. And verse five says, let loose the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up all the shocks and standing grain together with all the vineyards and olive groves. Samson doesn't get to win the riddle, so he kills the 30 dudes, goes home, doesn't get the wife, and burns the city to the ground. All the olive oil, all the vineyards, all the grain. Samson has a little bit of an anger issue. Maybe he was the first Hulk. I don't know. But nothing about this is like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reading this question. I'm like, what a man of God. I just hope Madison marries a guy like this someday. Like none of that is happening like right now as I'm reading this story. So the Philistines are like, who did this? They're like, well, it was Samson. So they go kill the girl, the Philistine woman. They kill her father. And so Samson got even more mad that it just says he slaughtered many Philistines. In fact, he got so mad, all the Philistines, like, we got to go find Samson. He went, ran and hid in a cave. The Philistines came at all of God's people. And they're like, if you don't hand us over, is, uh, Samson, we're going to kill all of you. And so now Samson's own people are like, yo, what'd you do? He's like, nah, it was nothing. And so he told me, and he's like, did you come here to kill me? They said, no, but if we don't turn you over to the Philistines, like this is not going to end well for any of us. So he says, fine, just tie me up with whatever. And so they give, like his own people, turn him over to the Philistines. And the whole time he knew that he had this strength. He's like, it was a setup. He's like, tie me up, see what happens. Let's go. So his own people, the Israelites, hand Samson over to the bad guys. And here's what the Bible says happens next. As he approached Lehi, not Lehi, not like where we live, uh, it says, as he approached, like he, the Philistines came shouting and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and the ropes on his arm became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands and finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Like you do. And then he wrote a poem about it. Verse 16 says, then Samson said, with the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. And with the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. This is the Bible. Don't ever tell me this is boring, ever. This is what happened. This dude lost his dang mind. There's no rescuing Israel. There's nothing happening other than if I don't get what I want, I'm going to kill everybody. And so he does. And oh, by the way, what did he kill him with? Jawbone of a donkey. Well, doesn't a donkey have to be dead? So now he's reaching into a dead corpse. Oh, I skipped a story where he grabbed honey from a dead lion and defiled his whole family. So this guy continues 
to compromise and compromise and compromise. But you know what? In the world that he lived in, it was like, oh, he defeated the Philistines. Oh, he let the, the town on fire. And so the, the culture excused his behavior so easily because of the results, not caring that the compromise was probably taking him somewhere where he wasn't really wanting to go. At this point, it says, <laughs> chapter 16 is the end. It says sometime later, he went to see a prostitute. Now he's like not even trying to be married. Another, he's in another, the Valley of Sorek, which is Philistine. He, now he's just being with girls, being with women. And it says that they heard he was in the town. He literally went into the enemy's camp. He's like, I'm afraid of you. He goes into the enemy's camp. They're like, we heard he was at the, literally all the army is surrounding him. He was like, no big deal. And he's in a city. All the cities are protected by a city gate. It says he got, when he was done doing his thing, he got up in the middle of the night, walked to the city gate, ripped the gate off his hinges, took it up on the hill, stuck it in the hill. He's like, what? This is what he did. This is so heroic. Enter the part that we probably heard in kids' church. For what reason? I have no idea. Now he meets another Philistine woman named Delilah in chapter 16. So he says sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. And here's what happens. He, this guy had, he had a weak spot for women in his heart. He had a weak spot for alcohol. He had a weak spot for the theatrical. He had never had taken the time to work on his character and work out the anger. And he just did whatever he wanted. And so far up to this point, it's kind of gotten him out of trouble. And he's kind of done what he's wanted, but it's about to catch up to him. And so he fell in love with Delilah. He gave her a whole heart. And some of us, we've been there. We give our hearts away so fast. I'll do anything for you, babe. And so the Philistines pull her aside and like, hey, you got to let us know what's the secret of his strength. He's like destroying us single-handedly. And so she does, they do this like back and forth. Like, if you really love me, tell me. And so he kind of tells her, but he doesn't tell her the whole truth. And so they try it and he destroys them. And, and then she's like, you lied to me. Forget the part where he's like, you tried to murder me. Like, what's the deal? He's so dumb and in love, she comes back like, if you really love me, tell me again. I promise I won't ambush you with my buddies this time. And so he gets a little closer to telling her the truth now about braiding his hair because the, the strength was always in his hair. And, she's like, oh, and then she says, wake up, the Philistines are upon you. How did this happen? And she, he lied again, broke them up, destroyed them all. And she's like, you don't love me. At what point is he like, girl, you're crazy. But he was so just doing whatever he wanted, got to have the girl, the prostitute, the woman, the whatever. She's like, she's like if you really love me, you tell me. So the third time. So two lies and a truth. I think that's where we got the game, two truths and a lie, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Finally, he says, like, yeah, fine, whatever. Like, this is stupid. And here's what I think happened. Samson was gotten so used to just doing thing, his own thing, his own way, that the strength of the Lord was with him, that the spirit of the Lord was with him. He's like, I can basically get away with anything. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength, whatever. Come to bed. So that night he falls asleep, she cuts his hair. And this time it says... In verse, uh, six, uh, chapter 16, verse 20, it says this. Then she called Samson. Now she's cut his hair. Watch this, though. The Philistines are upon you. No big deal. I've heard that a million times. What do I need a jawbone? What do we got? It says, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Watch this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. How do you get to the point where you didn't know God wasn't there anymore? How numb, how much compromise, how far are you going to push the line where you're like, oh, God bailed me out every other time. Can I just give you my narrative on this? He shouldn't have. There's at some point, like we don't ever really see other than he kind of defeats the Philistines. Anything really happens for the, the sake of his people other than his selfishness got him what he wanted. And there was some residual bonus. It says in verse, then it says in verse 21, uh, it says, then the Philistines seized him. 
And this is where compromise will take you if at some point we don't recognize the Spirit of God. If we live our own way long enough, eventually the results will speak for themselves and life will catch up to us. It says, they seized him, they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding the grain in the prison. Verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow again as as it had been shaved. So there's two fascinating things here at the end. This dude became so oblivious, so selfish, so self-absorbed that he, he missed the fact that God wasn't even with him anymore. And it cost him everything. Because see, here's what, here's what sin and here's what compromise will happen. Compromise will take you further than you ever meant to go, cost you more than you ever meant to pay. And sometimes the devil's just tricky enough to let us get away with something long enough to think it's no big deal, but he's setting you up. He doesn't want you to get taken prisoner by four Philistines. He wants you to lose everything, your hair, your eyes, your anointing, and God and you be distant. But as that happened, what happened? His hair began to grow, and guess what happened? The Spirit of God, always good to his promises, says, I still remember my word. I still remember my faithfulness. I still remember my promise to you. And as his hair grew, his strength grew. And the story ends like this. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, uh, verse 27. Uh, When all the rulers of the Philistines were there, And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. It was in that moment where he got real with himself and he remembered. This started with a promise. This started with an anointing. This started with the idea that me and God were going to be one and he was going to use me to do something great, that there was a purpose for the gifts. There was a purpose for the skill. There was a purpose for all the things he gave me. And maybe, just maybe, I know I've ruined it and I know I've been selfish, but maybe, just maybe, if I, if I ask, if I cry out, maybe his grace and his mercy and his love isn't so far gone that maybe, just maybe, he'll remember me. That's a powerful prayer right there. Remember me. Maybe somebody here watching or, or listening needs to be reminded. Sometimes it's as simple as going, God, remember me. And Samson was honest enough to know, I did this to myself. I got what I deserve. But he said, remember me. And he says this, please, God, strengthen me one more time. With one blow, get, and with one blow, let me get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Still being selfish. Then Samson reached toward the two center pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He knew what he deserved. And then he pushed with all of his might and down came the entire temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Samson gave his life to defeat the enemy. This story is so layered and it's so crazy because in a way, what God said was going to happen, happened that he used Samson to deliver the people out of the Philistines' oppression. Yet the way that Samson went about it couldn't have been probably further away than what God had intended. He pushed every line. He broke every boundary. He went against every conviction. Samson's story is a sad story of compromise. And to the point where you read this and you're like, what a terrible tragedy. In fact, I'm like, man, why would I even dare call Samson a hero? I would never even think of that, except they do it in Hebrews. He's actually named in Hebrews 11, verse 32, as he's going through, just ripping through all these heroes of faith, saying, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Barak and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. And there's more. He goes on in uh, verse 32. He says, who conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and who quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword and whose weaknesses was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign enemies. And so I wanted to start this hero series with 
at the, at, at, at the face value a hero, but when you look at his heart and his character and his integrity, he's anything but a hero. Yet somehow he made the list, somehow he made the, the cut, somehow he's in this list. Because I think there's a couple things that we can learn and we can take from, from Samson's life. And I think we would do well to look at a couple of truths that are maybe on the opposite sides of the coin. One of them, as I already said it, is this. And I, I think there's a loving warning from a heavenly father to maybe some of us who are maybe more dangerously close to some really bad consequences than we would care to acknowledge or admit that that compromise in your character, compromise in your integrity, compromise against how God has said that you know you're to live will take you further than you want to go and will cost you more than you are willing to pay. And so for some of us, as we pray and as we evaluate and take this with us this week, a question will be, is there an area of my life that I'm compromising? Have I let myself continue to get away with some things? Have I become numb to the conviction of God where I've gotten away with it so many times it's actually become okay, but maybe just maybe the enemy is setting you up for a way greater fall in the end. See, I'm convinced that had Samson obeyed God and had he done it God's way, that he could have had the exact same results without having to cost him his eyes, his humility, his dignity, and his life. Compromise. It's a sad story of compromise. And every time I look at Samson's story, I, I, I'm, I'm challenging myself to go, is there an area of my life that I'm thinking is okay, but really it's just a setup for later? Is it going to cost me more than I'm willing to pay? Is it taking me further than I want to go? Maybe it just starts with something innocent at the office or online or a couple bucks here or a couple drinks here or a couple jokes here or whatever the case may be. And maybe just maybe God loves us enough to say, hey, I want to stop you from going down that road. It's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. It's going to take you further than you want to go. And if that's you, we can just acknowledge that as we pray here in just a moment. But here's another part of, of, of a, beauty, a beautiful part about this. And this is the hope-filled part, the other side of the coin. Something else we learned from Samson is that it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. It's not about how you start. In a way it is, because how you start does lead to the finish. But there was still hope and there was still purpose and there was still mission and there was still the anointing and the spirit of God came back and the hair came back. And so maybe, just maybe, there's some of us that oh, what we can take away from the hero, the life of Samson is, I could have blown it and done it so wrong so many times, but the hair grew back, the anointing came back, the spirit came back, the purpose came back, and he still did what he was called to do. And I believe that there's some of us here watching or listening here tonight, today, this morning, whatever time of the day it is, that maybe you have disqualified yourself either by saying, pastor, you have no idea. I'm so, I'm so messed up there. I've done it all wrong. Then this dude should give you so much hope because even in his last moments, he remembered the Lord and the Lord remembered him and the Lord's spirit was with him and he did what he was meant to do. And I'm convinced if you would humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Remember me, come to me. I need this that you could have had the worst start to your marriage, the worst start to your business, the worst start to your, 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 your life, the worst five decades, but it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. And your marriage, and your parenting, you might be thinking, man, my kids are teenagers, it's too far. It's never too late to do the right thing, my dad always used to say. It's about how you finish. It's about how you finish. So maybe, just maybe, you're here on the tail end of your life, maybe you're into your 60s or 70s or 80s and you're going, cool stuff, kid. I've already run my race. Listen, if you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose in your life. And so maybe it's not about, how, maybe your best finish is still ahead of you. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you've run your race. Maybe you've already been the, the small group leader. You've done the thing. But I'm telling you, you can finish well. And both the compromise and the finish have the same solution, making Jesus the center of your life. 
Jesus be the center of my life. You are the Lord. You call the shots. Because this whole thing started with God's like, I know how this is supposed to go. And if you listen to me, it will go well. And some of us are maybe trying to hang on too much. I like it my way, but Jesus, when I need him, what if it was just all in Jesus? And so I'm just going to say a prayer and, and we're going to close. And I hope that this sticks with you and stirs with you this week and go, man, what's, what's my takeaway? What could I learn from Samson this week? Is there a compromise area that, that the Holy Spirit's maybe putting his finger on going, hey, let's, let's get that back in, uh, realigned. Or maybe you've kind of mailed it in, cashed it in, you've discounted yourself, disqualified yourself either because of mistakes or maybe age. And God would say, man, the best is yet to come. I'm not done yet with you. And so whichever of those two you are, I would invite you to allow God into that place. Invite his word, his presence, and say, God, I want what you want from me moving forward. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna dismiss, and we're gonna go apply what we've heard, and we're gonna allow God to speak to us. I say it all the time. We, don't, we aren't just infor- looking for information here. We want application, because that's what leads to transformation. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every word and every story in the Bible not only can uh, make sense, but it can speak to us here and now. And so I pray, God, that we would take your word with us, that we would apply. God, if there's areas of compromise, that we would be humble enough to allow you to realign us. uh, And we would hear it as a, a, a loving father warning us in a direction that perhaps we're heading, that you would like us to stop before it costs us more than we're willing to pay. And God, if there's anybody here who just says, I'm too far gone, like, I, I, I don't know, I, I can't, it, I made, I'm Samson times 10, that they would know that it's not about the mistakes of the past, it's what you want to do with them now and moving forward, that your grace and your love and your healing and your forgiveness can cover all of that. And if that's you, if that's you watching on this screen or if that's you here in this room right now, I just want you to just take three seconds and invite Jesus in your life. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. God, Jesus, come into my heart. God, you run the show. God, you fix it. God, you, whatever you need to say, just think it or whisper it or pray it out loud. Because the only way you're gonna do it is by allowing him to do it his way. God, we thank you that you're never done with us. So now, God, may we go... Um, uh, in the courage and the strength that we have and may we live it out loud may we may our lives reflect you and uh, and god i pray that you would be glorified not just by what we do by how we do it in jesus name amen